You're listening to episode 10 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. He's Alex, I'm Tara, and it's time we start talking pitching. For starters, well, the starters. Welcome back to Chirps, everyone, and Happy New Year. Alex, you are back. The team is back together. Everyone is glad of that, I'm sure. So welcome back to the normal routine and and to the show. (laughs) It's nice to be back. Well, I enjoyed the chat with uh, Robbie Rowland last week. Um, He's a, a great conversation, but I'm excited to have you back to bounce some ideas off of as we get ever closer to spring training arriving. Of course, we haven't talked since the Cardinals made the move to sign Andrew Miller, which was, a, a, I don't know if it's a controversial choice. There are a lot of people who saw Miller as one of the best left-handed options available. I think personally, I'm a little hesitant because of the health issues that he had, particularly last season. Um, but let's start there, Alex. What's your take on the Andrew Miller deal and if that was a, a good move for the Cardinals? Um. I think it was a good move. His projections still look to be pretty decent next season. Uh, the injuries, what, he had like a groin injury last year, and then most troubling, uh, I think he had like three separate injuries. And the yeah. most concerning one was uh, like a left shoulder injury, which obviously that's his throwing arm, so that's not good. And I, I Craig Edwards noted on Twitter right after they signed Miller that his velocity um, – had gone down in his ERA uh, last season, um, which was only 34 appearances because of the injuries. But his ERA was, I believe, at its highest point since he uh, went to the bullpen um, because, you know, he started as a, uh, a starting pitcher. That said, um, even in what, you know, was considered a down year for Andrew Miller, it was still better than any other lefty option the Cardinals had last season. Um, I think I've used this terminology before when we've talked about relief pitchers. Um, I think I am, and I think a lot of people are, spooked by just the money um, that is now promised to Andrew Miller um, in light of some of the other relief pitchers that have not worked out so well, Um, one of whom, uh, I guess two of whom are still on the roster, and uh, Brett Cecil and Gregerson. I assume Gregerson's on the roster, right? (laughs) I never hear anything about him. We haven't seen him in a long time. (laughs) Um, And then obviously uh, uh, Greg Holland. But that said... uh, I, I think it's a good signing. I, I think it's a lot of money, and especially um, for a leaf pitcher who um, is uh, shoot. I, I don't remember how old he age thirty three season. Age, what are we looking at here? Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, age age thirty three season, um, and it's especially a lot of money if this is going to signify them kind of closing the books on their off season. Yeah. Meaning this is like all right, we we spent our money, and now let's uh, let's go to bat. But obviously, if he's anything close to resembling what he is in two thousand, what he was in two thousand sixteen, two thousand seventeen, then that's that's brilliant and that's great. Um, if he's what he was last season, then that's not awful. So I'm I'm fine with it right now. Yeah, I, I like the fact that it's that the third year isn't a guarantee. Um, I like the fact that he, by all accounts, checks out 
with the uh, physicals and and whatever extended versions of that 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 took place. Um, I like what he's capable of. I'm worried about him sort of returning to that form. But I also think it's interesting that that all the talk was about needing a lefty when Andrew Miller at his best is more than just a lefty specialist. So I'm not really sure it 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 solves that part of the bullpen puzzle. Um, it does give them another another option in the late innings. You can move pieces around as far as matchups and that sort of thing, which I think is a really interesting option. Um, so I don't necessarily. I was not a huge yes, go get Andrew Miller person, but I, I don't have anything strongly against um, Andrew Miller, assuming that he is in fact healthy, and that's really something that we will only know when you know he gets on a mound and we kind of see what that velocity does in fact look like and um, go from there. But it doesn't necessarily mean that all of the Cardinals pitching concerns have been taken care of, either for the bullpen or in many respects for the starting rotation. I think when you look at the rotation as it sets up right now, it looks pretty established as far as who that that starting five is intended to be, right? You've got Miles Michaelis, Carlos Martinez, Jack Flaherty, Michael Waka, Adam Wainwright going into spring training. It, it, is it am I wrong to feel like that's a, a pretty solidified starting five, at least on paper? No, you're not wrong at all. I I think if you were to do a comparison with all 30 teams, I think uh, that would fall on the uh, the good end of the spectrum. You know, I, I think that's that's pretty solid, and that doesn't even mention. Um, I feel like Alex Reyes was just in the news. Someone mentioned him yeah. today or yesterday, saying you know we expect him to be p- pitching in some capacity. Um, you know, we've seen John Gant be a decent starter when we've needed him to fill a role. So. Yeah, I think that top five is pretty strong, especially uh, with what we saw from Michaelis and Flaherty last season. As solid as that five looks on paper, there are still very much some questions, right? Because you've got Michaelis going into a second year since returning to, to Major League Baseball. The idea is perhaps there would be some regression, perhaps teams have a a bit more of a book on him now. I think the same could be said for Jack Flaherty going into his second season. There's always the possibility that, um, you know, some of that uh, rookie success doesn't duplicate itself exactly in the second season of their career. You've got Carlos Martinez, who by all accounts is one of the most talented pitchers in the league, but has struggled to put it all together and in the last season to stay healthy. You've got Michael Walker, who has struggled to stay healthy most of his career, but when he is good, he's certainly capable of being much more than a fourth starter. And then there's Adam Wainwright, who is enough of a wild card that I don't really know where to go with any sort of evaluation of him at this point. But as strong as that rotation looks on paper, Alex, I can find questions about every one of those guys as well. No, absolutely. I think I was looking at the starting five today and I think our dream would be if we could get like 300 combined innings from Waka and Wainwright. Yeah. You know, that would be great. Uh, 
Michaelis, I feel very, I feel very comfortable. Did you read uh, Joe uh, Schwartz's article in the Athletic? I haven't had a chance to okay. read it yet. It's it's in my <laughs> tabs that I <laughs> haven't gotten to yet, but it's, it's on the list for like yeah, a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I highly recommend reading it. Uh, Joe's very good at this sort of analysis, um, w- way better than than I. In fact, he's so good at it sometimes it goes beyond uh, my reading comprehension. But <laughs> but this one is, I found, very accessible and it's very, very good. Um, and it it kind of explains how, why what we saw from Michaelis was, is not a fluke um, and that we should feel good about him going into next season. Kind of talk about his pitching repertoire and how he uses the slider with the four-seamer and stuff like that. And that doesn't mean there won't be regression. But I think, you know, assuming he's healthy and you never want to do that with uh, any pitcher, but assuming he's healthy, I feel pretty comfortable with Michaelis. Um, I, I do 100% agree that, again, because we're talking about pitchers, that there still are question marks up and down the rotation. Um, Flaherty, uh, I feel good with Flaherty too, but like you said, um, who knows what what if we're going to look at any sort of sophomore slump or whatever. I haven't even looked at his projections, which is silly of me this point into the season, but... Um, I'm guessing they look pretty decent. Carlos, um, as you said, uh, after what, four, three or four seasons, I guess three seasons being a very reliable starter. You know, I think he pitched close to 175 to 200 innings for three seasons in a row. Uh, you know, the injury bug kind of finally jumped up on him last season. Uh, so hopefully, I mean, if, if he can return to form in any capacity of what he was between 2015 um, and last season, I mean, because Aside yeah. from that first start, he was great. Like for what the, the five or six starts after that, um, I feel pretty good about this rotation. It, it's not my biggest concern with the team, I guess is is how I would explain it. Yeah. So when I look at the potential of that that top three, that's a really exciting one, two, three in a rotation. If those guys are what they're capable of, you know, we've seen those three guys at their best be capable of pitching in any game against any team against any lineup and doing so with pretty sustainable success. And that's really exciting. That's something I'm not sure the Cardinals have had um, that deep into their rotation in a while. I think at that point you start asking, okay, what order do you put these guys in? Who's your number one out of those three guys? Um, Because you would have expected Martinez to be that guy. I think Flaherty may be that guy of the future, but Miles Michaelis opened a lot of eyes last year to who he's capable of being and and really the transformation um, of his own career that he was able to, to accomplish in, you know, his time overseas and then coming back and applying that at the major league level. So that's a really exciting top three to me. I don't, I think we could, you know, debate who, (laughs) like I said, what the order there is. Um, But when you get down to Michael Walkett and Adam Wainwright, of course there are other guys in the Cardinals system, guys who've pitched at the major leagues. You've got Austin Gomber, you have Dakota Hudson, you have, as you mentioned, Alex Reyes, um, John Gant, even, you know, Daniel Ponce de Leon that we saw a little bit last year, guys who are capable of starting at the major leagues. But when you look at the things that are question marks, particularly, I would say, in that four and five spot in the rotation, are you comfortable with those five guys and the four or five below them on the depth chart as the the starting options for the Cardinals? Or should they be looking for someone else to come in and and fill in a spot in the rotation to give them a little bit more of a sure thing? Well, I think at this point in the season, when 
there's still so many free agents out there and that nothing has really happened so far, you know, in a hot stove area. Um, I think you should always be looking to improve your team, even in areas where you think you're, you're pretty, uh, you're pretty set. Um, yeah. and, and so I think then that attention kind of turns to a guy like Dallas Keuchel, right? Um, for one, he would be, correct me if I'm wrong here, he'd be the only lefty in that starting five rotation. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the elephant in the room uh, would be that that's too crowded. <laughs> you know, you can't have one of those. You're not going to have a six-man rotation. Um, it's not like past seasons. Like, I want to look at 2015 when it was kind of like a competition between, I guess, Jaime Garcia and Carlos Martinez. And that was kind of, yeah. at the time, seen more as like kind of almost too I hate to call Jaime Garcia a fringe guy um, because he's not, but you know, Carlos Martinez hadn't really had a season as a starter. So it wasn't, it wasn't two established starters, um, Mm -hmm. you know, battling for that last spot. It was a little different here. We're going to have, we would have all established starters. So I think you would have to trade Michael Waka um, since he's going to be, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think this, this would be his, his last season under contract with the Cardinals. Um, because, you know, they just offered a contract to Wainwright. You're not going to trade Wainwright, of course. Um, I, I guess, you know, Carlos Martinez would be another trade candidate, especially in light of, uh, I believe, I want to say Bernie Miklas said on the Seeing Red podcast that it was a 50-50 shot he got traded. Or when asked if, if he would get traded, he said he gave it 50-50 chance. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Waka would make the most sense there if you were to look at a guy like Dallas Keuchel to trade. Um, that said, I think the problem with Keiko so far is, uh, you know, he's a Boris client, so they're going to wait this out. <laughs> Last I read, he's looking at, he's asking for what, like five years. Um, I didn't see the the number attached, but from what I understand, it was enough to scare most suitors away. Um, though that, I mean, maybe not read too much into that because apparently no teams want to spend money, <laughs> any money at all. But I think the what I read today on MLB.com is they kind of uh, compared it to the Jake Arietta situation of last season, which is that he didn't get the money he wanted and kept waiting, waiting. Finally, the Phillies swooped in in March and instead of a five or six year deal, signed him to a three year deal. And if that's going to be how this plays out and you can get Dallas Keuchel, uh, you know, a, a lefty you can throw into that rotation, um, you know, a, a guy who would Cy Young winner as recently as 2015 and has been decent recently. He threw, I believe, over 200 innings or around 200 innings last year. You can get him on the cheap. Um, you do it and then you just figure out where to go from there. Yeah, it's interesting the Keiko situation for me because I know a lot of people who are very vehemently opposed to the idea. Um, I think Dallas Keiko in sort of a vacuum is really intriguing to me because, you know, he ended up in a rotation that's one of the strongest starting five we've seen in a very long time in Houston. And, you know, to be the to be the the fifth guy in that rotation is still saying a lot about, you know, the skill set and about the ability of that of that pitcher. Um, not that, you know, he should be defined or, or his contract should be based on the rotation he was pitching in. That's not my point. But I think it's easy to to sort of see him as maybe not living up to um the the top guys in that rotation all the time and that's perhaps an unfair comparison so I think Dallas Keuchel is a really intriguing option for a team like the Cardinals but I would tend to kind of fall into that same uh, sort of weird 
spot where I don't know that I see the Cardinals picking someone up, especially in a a longer term contract like that. First of all, I don't think they're giving five years to anybody. So they would, you would have to come off that a little bit. Um, But to, to pick up somebody who has to be in the starting rotation when they already have five guys that pretty much have to be in the rotation. Now I know the argument would be for a lot of people that Adam Wainwright may be better off in the bullpen anyway, but I don't think we're going to see that at the start of the year. So, you know, then what do you do with all six of those guys? Um, whether you trade Michael Walker, and I don't honestly know what you get for Michael Walker at this point. I don't know what the market looks like for a guy who's really only ever healthy for half a season, but that becomes why you need that sixth starter, right? You need someone who can, um, you know, maybe be more of a, a reliable option than someone who at his best is extraordinary, but is you know, kind of a a ticking time bomb or so it has been for most of his career on the health front. So Keiko's really interesting to me. I think that it's, I have a hard time seeing the Cardinals making a move for someone like that who has to be in the rotation as opposed to a guy. um, I know Daniel Chapta and I talked about this a little bit. He brought up a a guy like Gio Gonzalez or, or someone who's out there that maybe is that next tier down who you can pick them up and not feel like there's this obligation for them to be in the rotation. But if that's the case, if that's where you're going with the kind of, you know, the caliber starting pitcher that you would like to add, I'm not sure the Cardinals need to add that guy because I think they have that kind of player already, uh, you know, a notch or two down on the depth chart in some of those guys that we've already mentioned, which, which maybe is, you know, some of those guys are a bit untested and they're not maybe there yet, but I'm not sure there's a whole lot of value in sort of a, a horizontal move for another starter when you have so many guys already in the organization who can basically do that same thing. No, you only make a move for a starter if it's of a higher caliber sort. Like, I just yeah. don't see any reason to add a, a pitcher like Gio Gonzalez when you have... Alex Ray, you know, I, I get it. Gio's a lefty. If that's something they, they feel like they need a lefty starter, I don't even know if that's the case. I haven't certainly haven't heard much on that front. But it, look, if you, if you have Alex Reyes and, and even John Gant who can fill in if, um, you know, someone gets hurt, I don't see what the point would be of pursuing a Gio Gonzalez. I, I view Keiko a little above that. Yeah. Um, and if, if you could sign him to an Arietta similar like deal, um, you know, you're talking about his um, 31, 32, 33 seasons, um, that doesn't really scare me all that much. Uh, You know, I'm speaking totally like with the fandom pushed aside because I love Michael Waka. Um, And so it would, it would pain me to see him either be pushed out or traded or whatever. But in terms of maximizing this starting rotation, I I think Keiko could be a decent move, but I totally agree with you in that I don't see any way that happens right now. It just doesn't seem like a move they would do, especially with how much we know they value their internal options and value kind of like the, um, you know, the the Ponce de Leon's, the Dakota Hudson's, other players that we've seen, even Austin Gomber that we've seen uh, fill in when they need to and haven't, you know, we're not talking about ace pitchers or even maybe 
we're not even talking about like a guy who would be a third in the rotation type pitchers, but guys we know who can handle the job, you know, who, who aren't going to, you know, it's not going to be like Mike Mayer's first start every time right. they, go out, they go out there is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, a, it's a really interesting situation to be in because, um, you know, we've seen this before where the Cardinals seem like they have this really solid rotation going into spring training. You never know what's going to happen in those couple of weeks of spring. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so having, other options is not a bad thing, but you also can't, you know, work yourself into too much of a corner where uh, you, you've got these sort of misfit pieces that then you don't quite know what to do with either. Now, I guess the argument could be made, um, as John Mosellek so often does, these things tend to work themselves out. Um, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not convinced that the Cardinals are ready to put Adam Wainwright in the bullpen or to bail on Michael Waka or to, you know, move some other piece in that's going to take away from this very carefully crafted puzzle that they take so much pride in, particularly on the pitching front. We hear John Mozeliak talk about that all the time in that there's so much depth through the the pitching in this organization. And that's something they're very they're very intentional about. So as much as I think it's very easy to make the argument that the Cardinals could use uh, another established starter, um, you know, a lot of people are wondering what's going to happen with guys like Kluber and where they're going to land. The Cardinals aren't going to go out and get that guy, but to have someone, maybe that's that next tier down, that's still a, a step above where some of the, the other guys in the organization are, I can make that argument very easily. And like I said, I'm very intrigued by the possibility of someone like Keuchel. um, And he may be the only one like Keuchel that's available. Um, But I just, I think the Cardinals are so careful and so deliberate in the way they go about really training these, these pitchers for these opportunities and preparing them to be able to move in and out of the rotation as necessary that you know, if you go into spring and the, that starting five is the starting five on opening day, I feel very comfortable with that. Um, even if there's sort of this lingering what if when someone like Wainwright or Waka ends up struggling. Or, you know, it could be Carlos Martinez. Let's be honest. It could be any one of them. And then you have to sort of play that what if game. But I think I think the rotation as is is enough barring whatever else may happen. And that's where you sort of have to roll the dice a little bit, I guess. Well, um, if nothing else, and believe me, this is a horrible reason to sign anyone to a uh, contract, uh, especially a multi-year contract. But if nothing else, it would keep him away from Milwaukee. Uh, And (laughs) I'm talking about Keiko, that is. um, Because if I'm Milwaukee, I'm all over that. Maybe there really is just every team is colluding and no one's going to sign any free agent ever again. And um, these guys are just going to have to, like, uh, I don't know, retire and take up something else. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. The the thing about this division that I think is going to be so interesting is that, you know, as good as the Brewers were, they're not without their flaws. As good as the Cubs were, they're not without their flaws. The Cardinals, whether you want to argue that they, they made – the right moves or enough moves, they've at least attempted to address those flaws. Um, and that's well, that's sort of where we are with them. Kind of looking at the Cardinals' big picture and thinking, all right, they got better. Is there a way they can get even better yet? 
Yeah, and, and I, I want to back up almost to the very beginning because you said something that I thought was interesting that I meant to circle back to earlier. Um, but when we were talking about Andrew Miller, um, do you think they still need to pick up like a, a loogie type pitcher, uh, like just a almost like a a new Randy Choate, just a guy they can bring in to, uh, you know, just to face the lefties? Because obviously Andrew Miller. Um, at least his reputation or when he was at his best is kind of more as like uh, the way Francona used him, you know, kind of a guy who came in into high leverage innings, not just to face one guy, but to sometimes um, retire two innings. Um, granted, that was a postseason when, you know, we use pitchers a bit differently than we do during the regular season. But do you think the Cardinals still need to go out and get another lefty relief pitcher more specifically to be used just to retire like the Christian Yelich's and Joey Votto's that we see so often? I think two things. One, it depends on if there's really any way to resurrect the value of Brett Cecil. Because if you can, he's that guy, right? He can be that guy. But if he's not, and Andrew Miller is the good version of Andrew Miller, I think it's a terrible waste of his talent and his ability and the the impact he can have on a team to use him exclusively in that role. So for me, there are there are other pieces to that that sort of answer that question for me. And it's it's very much about the ability of Brett Cecil to to be effective as well as um, you know, a guy like Jason Shreve, maybe he can come in and, and play that role a little bit. Um, but also what the the effectiveness and particularly the health of Andrew Miller is going to be. Because like I said, for me, a good Andrew Miller is better than just being a loogie. <laughs> um, but the Cardinals still need someone who can come in in maybe not the highest leverage situation in the game and get a lefty out because they had no one that was capable of that, um, particularly at the end of last season. So I think there are pieces already in place that could be that guy, but I'm not necessarily opposed to the Cardinals picking up someone else that, um, you know, even if it's not the, the, left-handed specialist specifically, someone that has, um, you know, the ability to pitch in those high leverage situations a sort of as a as a, a backup to the the main plan, which is Andrew Miller and Jordan Hicks. Well, I, if they do that, I think that person should be Oliver Perez, uh, partly because he's a lefty, but mostly because um, from certain from certain angles, I've been told that he looks exactly like me. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> Done deal, Cardinals. If you're listening, John Mozeliak. Um, he's also like, he's Perez. also like my age, which isn't a good thing. So maybe we pretty old. <laughs> Uh, you know, one-year deals are all the rage right now, so we'll get it hurt for one year, right? I think I might be a little <laughs> older than him, actually. Well, how old is he? Okay, yeah, I, I, still, I have like two years on him, so yeah, he's still good. Okay, yeah. all right, there you go, there you go. Um, man, a lot of pieces to this pitching puzzle. I did not intend for that to be so hard to say. Still need to fall into place, and, and it looks good on paper, but we've all seen how dramatically different they can be in real life. So right. um, perhaps Dallas Keuchel is a part of that equation. I think a lot of other teams could maybe get a little more value out of someone like Keuchel at this point in their season. But, um, you know, the next couple of weeks, I think, are going to be very interesting as we're not that far away from spring training and a lot of things still need to be decided. Yeah, for a, lot of a, a good exercise is always to look at the bullpen on opening day. And then look at the bullpen, um, not just who's there, but look at their roles um, in September. Um, because yeah. often you just have to figure out this stuff as it goes. Yeah. And that's that's one thing that 
I think will be very interesting and very telling about Mike Schilt is how he can go about mixing in some of those guys that are very young but very talented with some of the guys that are, are maybe trying to recover um, some some value to their careers at this point with the likes of Andrew Miller and, and Jordan Hicks and, and some of the more established um, role guys that you expect to be there uh, on day one. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see this all come together over the next few weeks as we get um, into the the beginnings of the 2019 season. Um, bullpens may play a role in uh, in some frustrating games every year may play a role. Bullpens are very frustrating. <laughs> and inevitably there are games that are, are won or lost because of the bullpen. I'm trying to transition to the chirp of the week um, without giving it away. So Alex, we're going to hand that over to you in, in your return to the show with the chirp of the week. Thank you. Um, all right, so I'm a Chicago Bears football fan, and Tara, did you watch that football game last night? I didn't watch it, but I am I'm aware. It was awful. And you know, you're in the group chat with me. You heard all my misery. <laughs> you may have even saw me complaining on Twitter. It was one of the worst sporting things I've I've sat through in terms of how it ended. Um, I, I it was shocking. I think I used the word gutting um, at times. Like I guess I felt like I was having my guts removed I you know it was, I don't know what that means but anyway um but it I was thinking today uh what is the worst loss um in Cardinals like recent history uh I think the worst loss in Cardinals history is probably the Dankinger game right yeah I, I can't think of anything worse than that you know I, I can't pretend to be an expert on like games in the 1920s and stuff like that but to have a game where it looks like you're probably on the precipice of winning a world series um and then for it to kind of go south that way in that fashion, um, to lose that game, then get blown out in game seven, that's about as bad as it gets. Um, but I don't want to talk about the Dankinger game, mostly because uh, that was in 1985, and I was only six years old then. I didn't really remember it. I know, know it more from just people talking about it. And so I wanted to kind of cover an era that I'm hoping most of like the people listening would at least be able to say, oh, yeah, I remember that game. So I started with 2000 and on and i i narrowed it down to four games um and i'm worried that i missed like some obvious ones so if i did please uh, yell at me uh i don't know on twitter or somewhere um but these are the four games um and i'm going to pick one of which one i think is the worst cardinals game um in in kind of like modern history and so i'm starting with the year 2000 um the first game is is the uh, 2005 nlcs uh, game six um and there's nothing that, that notable about this game other than it was the game right after Pujols hit the home run off of Brad Lidge. Uh, I felt like we had the momentum. Um, and then we go back to uh, the old, uh, the very last game at Old Bush Stadium and Roy uh, Oswald kind of shows that momentum is only as good as your starting pitcher because he shut us down and uh, it was over. Yeah. Number two uh, is the 2013 World Series Game 4. Uh, better known... Um, kind of unfairly, uh, as the game that ended with Colton Wong being picked off uh, for space. The third game is the 2014 NLCS Game 5. That's the uh, Mike uh, Matheny brings in Waka to pitch to uh, Ishikawa, and uh, he hits a home run, a walk-off three-run home run, and that was that. And the uh, fourth game is the uh, 2015 NLDS Game 4. Um, that's when we had an early lead against the Cubs, and... Uh, 
They then decided to start hitting home runs all over Wrigley Field, and our season not only ended, but ended at the hands of our awful, bitter rival. Um, So those are the four games. I actually picked, when I thought about all of it, 2013 World Series Game 4 as the worst loss in the modern era, which again, I'm calling from 2000 on. And I'll tell you why. So I think most people would probably point to 2014 NLCS Game 5, um, the Waka game. Um, the thing about that, though, is we're down 3-1. Um, that series was already not looking good before that game even started. Yeah. And I believe even when Mike Matheny brought in Waka, which, you know, look, we all agree was completely inexcusable. So I'm not defending that. But even when he brought him in, I believe San Francisco, I was looking at baseball reference today, they had their win expectancy was like a 63% already. So that game was already not looking good, and the series certainly wasn't looking good. Um, The pitching matchups, had we won that game, would have been, I believe, Game 6, Lance Lynn versus Jake Peavy, and then Game 7, Lackey versus Tim Hudson. So take that as you will. If you see those as great pitching matchups, then, you know, maybe that changes the way you might view that game. But the reason why I really am bothered by the World Series Game 4 2013 loss is because I really felt like the Cardinals had a team at that point that was clicking kind of like, I don't want to say on all cylinders, that sounds silly. But, you know, unlike 2015, where we kind of like went into the postseason on fumes, I feel like this was kind of the opposite. Um, you know, that team won 97 games. I think by base runs, they were a little worse than that. But when they got in the playoffs, that's the closest I've seen a Cardinals team to having like two straight up aces at the same time. Because you had Wainwright, who was in his prime. And you also had Waka, who emerged kind of at the tail end of that season and was was pretty much unhittable for about four or five starts in a row. And... I want to make it clear that I'm going to totally absolve Colton Wong of any wrongdoing. This is not because I'm not picking on Colton Wong here. I'm not saying this is his fault because one, we we lost that game four two. So regardless if he gets picked off or not, they were still in a very bad position to try and win that game. And before he was even picked off, I believe I was looking at baseball reference today, win expectancy, Boston's win expectancy was already up to 96%. So the Cardinals were already in a bad spot, but had they won that game, and the and if you remember, that, that game turned when Johnny Gomes hit a three-run homer off Seth Manis in the sixth inning to break a 1-1 tie. And that inning all started with Lance Lynn on the mound. He was a starting pitcher. And, you know, you know, Matheny maybe could have taken him out earlier. It was the playoffs. His pitch, his pitch count wasn't too high. But the worst part is that whole rally started with, with two outs. Lynn retired the first two batters. Um, and then he gave up a single and gave up a walk. And then Gomes came up. Matheny, you know, I'm not blaming Matheny for this because, you know, you would think like, okay, we had Rosenthal. We had Carlos Martinez in the bullpen. Why don't you go to them? Well, the problem is the night before the Alan Craig, you know, obstruction game, both of those guys pitched like <laughs> 20, 20 pitches. Um, so they threw a decent amount uh, of pitches the night before. And Carlos Martinez wasn't very sharp the night before either. So they weren't great options. And again, it was only the sixth inning. Seth Manus was actually a pretty decent option. He was a righty. He had, I believe, the second highest ground ball rate um, in the National League that year. If you remember, he was really good at, actually, in all of baseball that year, he was really good at getting those double plays. Mm-hmm. We didn't need a double play, but we just needed, you know, some soft contact, and that's pretty much what he was good at that season. Um, and it didn't work out, and we ended up losing that game. And instead of have, being able to win that game and having a 3-1 commanding lead, 
for a team that I thought was really worthy of winning a World Series, um, it just kind of all went downhill from there. And I just have really bad, vivid memories of that game. But again, on the dissolving Colton Wong, no one was really at fault. It was just a stupid baseball game that went wrong. And in my opinion, it's the worst Cardinals loss from 2000 on. That's my chirp of the week. But I do, before I end it, I want to ask you, um, if that gave you time to think about this, what do you think is your would be the Cardinals' worst loss from 2000 on? You know, that Michael Walker game, I just remember, and maybe it's more the culmination of the way that offseason or that that postseason went um, because there was so much to like about that team. And then all of a sudden um, that game, that moment was kind of just like this, uh, you know, microcosm of the the way that series went wrong. And And I think it was just all of those things compounded for me that every time I think about that, I just get this pit in my stomach thinking about the way that game ended. I would like to, um, you know, throw in an honorable mention, perhaps with just the recency bias of this last season, but, and again, not that it's the fault of Adoles Garcia, but tripping against the Brewers. I don't know when the last time, perhaps it was that Michael Walker moment, where I just I just sat there and and I couldn't I couldn't process what was happening um, because up until that point there was still this glimmer of hope for the Cardinals making it to the postseason um, so that's an honorable mention like I said probably because it's freshest in my mind but that's a good one oh man uh, I'm gonna give you a silver lining though um, if he doesn't fall down. Maybe the Cardinals win that game and still don't make the playoffs, but the Cubs win the division and go on to win the World Series. So true. Um, that's the silver true. lining there. <laughs> I think my least favorite loss from last season was, do you remember that game against the Phillies where we like tied up the, it was this crazy bonkers game where we like tied up the game. Uh, I, someone struck out, but you know, the catcher dropped the ball and we ended yep. up scoring on it, I believe. And then... Yep. Like, we had this crazy comeback, and then it ended with Marcelo Zuna diving for that ball. And yeah. um, you know what game I'm talking about. That was awful. Yeah, I do. I hated I that did. Yeah. I sat in stunned silence after terrible. that game, just staring, oh, not wanting to get up. Yeah, that was, that was pretty bad, too. I can't wait to talk about all the <laughs> terrible games uh, we get to watch this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> hopefully the worst loss of this season is not the one that keeps them out of the postseason. Let's just, let's just yeah, put it that yeah, way. Yeah, very good point. All right, well, we are... Now that we're on that depressing note, <laughs> going to wrap up the show for this week. Um, but I'm curious what you all think the the worst Cardinals loss is the, since 2000 as well, because it's the off season and no one's doing anything. So we have to have something to talk about, right? Um, also, feel free to weigh in on the Cardinals pitching situation, who they still need, where they need to fit into that puzzle. Make sure that you subscribe or follow or like or whatever it is you do to the Birds on the Black podcast on whatever platform it is you listen on. And you can follow us on Twitter, of course. Those things are always in the show notes. And we will be back again next week. So, Alex, I will talk to you then. I'll see you then.